The Women in Agile podcast series amplifies voices of outstanding women in the Agile community. We're dedicated to sharing the wisdom and inspiration our community has to offer by telling our stories, being thought leaders, and having open conversations with our allies. This series is brought to you in partnership from the Women in Agile organization and Scrum.org. Hello, listeners. Welcome to another episode of the Women in Agile podcast series. I'm your host, Leslie Morse, and today we are chatting with Nada Buhindi. Nada is a professional anchored in 15 years of IT consulting experience focused in the Agile and project management areas. She coached technology professionals at Deloitte, Accenture, and Slalom Consulting towards building their confidence and ensuring job success. She's recently transitioned to being a career coach, though, because she discovered her North Star is helping clients take their career to the next level and has helped more than 16 professionals land new offers over the past six months. Nada, thank you for being with me today. It's a pleasure being here, Leslie. I am... um, I'm really excited for this conversation. I love your energy. I uh, am so thrilled that we had had a chance to connect before recording this episode and really inspired already by the wisdom you're going to drop on our listeners today. So are you ready to dig in? Totally. I'm all in. Okay. Well, standard opening thing that I like to ask all of our guests, please share with us your story about how you found Agile or perhaps did it find you? Yeah. So... Um, while I was working at Deloitte, actually, at the beginning of my career, I did um, encounter Agile, and we never really labeled it or put in a box. Um, in fact, that's where I learned one of the most important lessons is to not get obsessed over labels, but more around the mindset. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's when I fell in love with it and started applying it to all areas of my life. It's the experimentation aspect of things, to try things because you don't know if you don't try. Um, And as I went through my career, I wanted to learn all of the best practices and I never pigeonholed myself to Scrum or to SAFE or to Kanban or to any of those things, but I just thought of it as let me get as many tools as I can in order to help my teams to become more effective and high performing. And I've also had a very entrepreneurial mind growing up with my mom. um, She started her own business and she went through her personal pivot from banking into starting her own preschool. So Mm. this is where my entrepreneurial and product side came in. And I decided to also go into the product path and blend those two, which is actually um, very rare because you'll either find someone who's an agilist or product oriented and you get to see all these (laughs) disputes in the community. No product owner, no product manager, blah, 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 you know? So I, I have a, a blend of both and I respect, you know, both um, schools of thought. Yeah. And it's, it is really nice that we're seeing more and more people emerge in the Agile community that are steeping themselves in both of those areas. And, and um, we're starting to co-mingle more because without that collaboration, it gets really, it makes things more difficult than it needs to be. What would you say... Um, was maybe one of the pivotal moments on your Agile journey that just for whatever reason really stands out to you? 
It was when I was working at a large organization, a large financial institution. And there were many pivotal moments for me at that point because I came in, the team was not very high in the maturity level, and I got to really bond with them. Um, some coaches prefer a mature environment. I actually loved that it wasn't a mature environment. I loved that there were so many obstacles that I had a blank canvas to pretty much set things up and establish things. And I embraced all of the resistance that was going on across the organization, um, having a shared services team, having you know, um, PMO rather than agile, not being part of a COE. I love that I had that opportunity because it really forced me to really hone my skills of, you know, communication and being a very effective communicator. It really um, allowed me to hone my skill as a coach and, you know, combine the, the different stances that a coach truly needs to have. Um, whether it's being a teacher, whether it's being a consultant, whether it's being a mentor, um, a facilitator, all of those things. Um, and it pushed me into not focusing too much on agile, agile, agile. But at the end of the day, what are we trying to achieve? Yes. We are trying to create value for the organization. Yeah. That's why we get hired. It's not about you know, agile. It's not about, um, you know, you got to do things this way. It's about how do we create value for an organization so that it's profitable while ensuring that the teams are happy? Because if you have happy employees, if you have happiness in the workplace, you're going to create loyalty and they're going to have your back and they're going to ensure they create value. And yeah. that is the realization that I got while I was doing this is the importance of creating happiness within teams to make this happen. Yeah. How, as you went through this, Nada, what, how, what was your experience as a minority, as a female, right? Your background, you studied engineering and pivoted out of that early on in your career, right? So that's like, right, even more, right, working out of um, maybe the norms that you would be expected to sh show up in. But how how is sort of who you are from that perspective as a human um, shaped aspects of your experience? And how have you observed sort of the role of would that women play in this uh, community change and shift over the years? I got to say that I'm the kind of person who's negatively motivated. <laughs> so when someone tells me this is not for you, there's a glass ceiling above your head. Um, you're not going to be able to do this. Then I get very rebellious and I decide that, nope, okay, okay, I'm doing it then. That's what I'm going to do. I am <laughs> going to do this just because it. you said that I can't. <laughs> well, you know, there, there, there needs to be a balance, of course, and you've got to ask yourself, um, if this is the right thing for you. Um, but yeah, um, being a minority, of course, you know, um, I came to Canada in 2001 when 9-11 was going on. That was a very crazy time. I was scared to death when that was yeah. going on. 
And I was thinking in my head, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, I'm going to be singled out. Um, stereotypes are going to happen. I'm an Arab, you know, people are going to start labeling me. Oh no, what am I going to do? Fortunately, you know, that wasn't the case for me when I was um, at Queens University. In fact, I remember the dean coming in and saying, uh, you know, um, I, I want you guys to be safe. If there's ever anything that you're going through, please come to me. It was just awesome. You know, I felt great. Um, that being said, um, being in engineering school was a tough thing for me. Looking around me, there were a lot of men, you know, and there was a lot of masculine energy. Um, and it was challenging for me to figure out how to balance the two, the masculine and the feminine. Um, I didn't know how to fit in that world. Um, and at some point, as much as I was driven, as, as much as I was a determined person, I almost felt embarrassed to admit that that wasn't something that I enjoy, that I didn't enjoy sitting there in front of a computer and coding, that that wasn't me. Um, and um, later on, I finally had the courage because I just felt so miserable. I felt miserable pulling all-nighters, trying to dig through code. It just wasn't something that was appealing to me. I love the people aspect of things. Um, and that was a very difficult time for me to admit that because coming from the Middle East, um, your parents traditionally expect you to either be an engineer, a doctor, or a lawyer. And this is where I had my first encounter of not wanting to fit in a box. Mm. And having a serious conversation with my parents and saying, hey, you know, I'm sorry I let you guys down, but I don't want to spend the rest of my life miserable doing something that's not fulfilling. It's just not me. It doesn't fit my personality. Some people yeah. enjoy it, but I don't. It's just not my true calling. And I remember as a child, you know, one of the things that I used to do was lay out all my, you know, um, stuffed animals and have a blackboard and teach them to teach myself because I had a lot of problems as a, as a child in, in school retaining information. Um, I may have had a learning disability that was never diagnosed and I would spend all day not being able to follow and then come home and pour through books, make some notes and teach myself the content of an entire school day. That's how much I struggled in school. Mm. Um, so the teaching aspect, you know, and the um, desire to basically make learning simple for people was always something that's that was within me. And I took the software engineering route thinking that maybe if I learn how to build software, I'm going to be able to do that for people. Because at the time... The roles around product manager and business analyst weren't that well known. Yeah. Yeah. The There's something so interesting about some of the gender norms around women in teaching that I find interesting listening to your story and how that even in the choice to choose engineering, like that was actually a you breaking out of a box moment 
Yeah. Because it could have been sort of, and maybe, and maybe that's just a very, a more Western gender norm that I experience here in North America, right? Because you were talking about being conditioned to being a doctor or an engineer or a lawyer or something like that. So it's, um, it's interesting how it kind of, that it, those moments from your childhood almost came full circle. Yes. I love that. Anything, I guess, how would you summarize in your opinion, the state of women in technology and the state of women in agile, how things are today? I'm seeing that they're a lot better than they used to be. Um, when I was in consulting, it was very male dominated. You'd see that all of the partners, or I guess most of them were men. And I remember we used to ask you know, ourselves um, as, you know, technology consultants, entry-level professionals, oh my goodness, I guess I'm never going to be able to be a partner because there's a lot at stake. I have to give up being a mom. I have to be away from my family traveling. I don't know if I'm going to be able to sustain this. And the only choice that I have is to either be single or not have a family or quit that's the position that a lot of women um, were in. And I think yeah. I was in that position on the fifth year of being a consultant at Deloitte. Um, my mom, you know, she got diagnosed with cancer at that point in time. And that was the moment where I had that epiphany. I'm like, what am I doing? You know, I mean, Deloitte was an amazing place. Being in a management consulting is a great place. I'm so grateful that I had that opportunity because I learned a lot. However, I felt that I also had to um, really, really, you know, spend a lot of my time, you know, invested. And, and it almost felt like I had to make my work number one in order to be successful. Yeah, I can identify with aspects of that for sure. Yeah, and the travel, etc. Mm -hmm. And when my mom got diagnosed with cancer, that's when I woke up. And I and I realized there are other important things that I care about. It's not just my work. I can't be spending my life staring at a PowerPoint on a weekend to make sure that the partner is happy. Yeah. I can't be doing that for the rest of my life. Yeah, this um, this recurring theme of choosing you. Yeah, yeah, which I think is an edge for a lot of people, and you've done it again, right? You've kind of left all of consulting and decided to transform your career into being a career coach. So, what was what's that story? What led you to find this new north star uh, to inspire this career change? I think. When it comes to human beings, we have this huge fear that we, we can't, you know, become happy for whatever story that we tell ourselves. And I think that a lot of it is driven by ignorance mm. and lack of knowledge, of not knowing what's out there, of thinking that whatever we know is how things are. And until we know more and realize that we have options, then we're empowered to make choices. Yeah. 
And that's basically what was happening to me. Mm. I also think that a lot of what goes on for people is anxiety. And I think anxiety comes from the place of impatience, of wanting to get somewhere as fast as possible when really we need to walk that journey. Yeah. Yeah. It's about the journey, not the destination. Right. Yeah. Which feels a little cliche to say, um, how, as you think about that idea, and I'm really taking in your words and like, wow, that feels true for me, you know, and getting really kind of curious, how do you see perfectionism also showing up in some of that anxiety in terms of that get to the destination um, yeah. and getting there fast sometimes? I see that a lot in myself and I see that a lot with my clients and I'm glad that I've, ex I experienced it because that makes me relate to my clients even more. Um, I think it's something that a lot of high performers um, experience. They put a lot of pressure on themselves and something that I honed being an entrepreneur is completion versus perfection. Mm. You know, when you choose to do something, commit to it and be consistent. That's how you get the results. Yeah. If you pick a goal and you get impatient, you take the shortcut, you try it for like a day and then you're like, oh, I, I'm not going to be able to do this. Um, or I see people who um, really, really want to get it right, you know. Um, and because they put so much pressure on themselves to get things done perfectly and not leave room for failure and making errors, they create a lot of pressure for themselves. And I think I was one of those people and I still am to some extent. I think we, we still are in that space, all of us. Um, and how that has presented to me is actually even with my pivots. So I knew after year two that management consulting wasn't the right place for me. But I put pressure on myself to keep going on um, because, you know, I either I wouldn't get any luck getting lending roles outside of, you know, management consulting um, or I wasn't patient enough with myself or I didn't try, you know, to, let's say, sharpen other areas or skill sets. And I would give up very easily. Yeah, I'm, I'm sensing there was a fear there of at that moment going outside of the box. Oh, yes, there was a huge fear. Um, fear of failure, because mm. when you're in a large management consulting company, it's almost like you're part of a sorority or fraternity. You have a huge circle of support. And then there's fear of if I leave the circle of support, if I if I leave this relationship, you know, am I going to be successful? It, yeah. It's almost like codependency that happens mm. here. Um you know, and I and and in any type of relationship, you shouldn't feel so codependent to the point where um, you're scared of leaving and doing your own thing when you know that that's what's going to make you happy. Yeah, 
Yeah. Well, and then I just, I see almost a lack of presence of the agile values and principles and a little bit of what you're talking about, that need to get it right and do it right and figure it out quickly and all of this when if we can, if we're able to set that aside and really look at the values of inspect and adapt and building things and doing things for the purpose of learning from them versus the purpose of getting them right the first time, um, there's, we do, and I think I'm sort of formulating these thoughts in the moment, it seems, um, treat our careers oftentimes in a big design up front Yes. Right. I'm going to make this choice about my career so that I can retire in 25 years or whatever it is versus actually, you know, taking an intentional inspect and adapt approach. So how how do you see your underpinnings of agile being part of that place you come from when you're working with your clients as they're navigating their careers? Yeah. That's something I tell clients a lot is to treat whatever role we land on as a minimal viable product, um, inspect it, we adapt it, we tweak it, even as we look for roles, even as they go through the process, um, there is always an opportunity to change. You know, don't be scared of change. You don't have to get it exact or perfect. You're not married to the, <laughs> to the role. You know, I mean, even with marriages, people leave each other if they realize it doesn't work. There's no sense in forcing things, right? Yeah, I actually, I think that's a, such an interesting thing because I've got people that I know that are much more willing to end serious romantic relationships that they're in than ever considering entering or ending their relationship with their employer. And that that's sort of a weird twisted way of looking at the world when you're putting that higher priority kind of, and I don't even know if priority is the right way to phrase it, but it's just, it's, it's, it's really interesting how those dynamics play out. Yeah. Yeah, and, and if you notice um, and look at my career holistically, you'll see that at the beginning, I spent a huge chunk of my time at Deloitte. And then as I progressed in my career, <laughs> the durations got shorter and shorter and mm -hmm. shorter because yeah. that's when my agile mindset, you know, expanded and progressed. And I realized, yeah. hey, I'm going to treat every position at an organization as an experiment. You know, I'm going to yeah. try it out. I'm going to see how it goes. Um, and either I'm going to stay longer, I'm going to try different things within the organization, or I'm going to leave somewhere. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And I think some of the fear that, that people have around leaving, there, there are a number of reasons. I can understand why people have difficulty um, leaving a company versus a relationship because there's a lot at stake. You mm -hmm. know, there's income tied to it. There's your livelihood tied to it. So it is difficult. Yeah. However, what I'll say is, you know, um, you if you just like you you leave a partner right when you when you're with a partner for a long period of time you have shared assets 
um, that partner is actually doing things that save you money, you know, like completing chores or or handling certain things that you end up outsourcing you know, yeah. to an accountant. So it, it really is the same thing if you think about it. Yeah. Um, and it's a, and and my advice around you know this is all coming from ignorance and lack of seeing what's out there. Because when you see what's out there and the options that are out there, then perhaps you're going to realize, wow, why was I so worried? Yeah. Why was I afraid? Place? Yeah. 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 You you mentioned something. One, not I really just want to appreciate like how vulnerable you're being and just the amount of kind of authenticity that I'm like, I feel coming off of you in this conversation. Um, I really I, I so, so appreciate that. And I hope that it's coming through for the listeners as well. Um, so thank you. No problem. You, you said something in, in this last part about the, as I embraced a more agile mindset around my career and my life, those job durations got shorter, which makes me think of those people doing the hiring and how I know I made up stories in the past when I was doing hiring, looking at people's resumes, wow, they were only ever here for a little while. They don't have any loyalty. They don't have any commitment. You know, what's wrong with them that they couldn't stay somewhere for a long time? Are those opinions still, are you seeing those be prevalent for people hiring or is there more of a appreciation of hiring managers for this idea of people are inspecting and adapting their career and it's not a, a bad sign that they may be moving around? Hey everyone, Natalie Warner here, the President and Executive Director of Women in Agile Org. I wanted to thank you for listening to this episode of the Women in Agile podcast series. We're thrilled to have this as a platform to showcase the wisdom of our community. We'd love to get your help to amplify the reach of the series by asking you to go over to iTunes in order to rate and review us. After you're done, take a screenshot of your rating and review. Then post the screenshot to Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn and tag hashtag women in agile. If you do this, we'll not only reshare your post, but also add you to a monthly drawing to receive a women in agile goodie bag filled with WIA stickers and other treats. Thanks for listening. I do see that hiring managers have that bias. Definitely. Um, what I'll say is, well, to the hiring managers, this is what I'm going to say. Um, I think the way organizations fundings, um, it's just not very agile, mm -hmm. you know, companies get a huge chunk of money and they feel that they have to burn through projects, etc., and they hire roles with this upfront expectation that we're going to plan all these things up front. But here's, here's what I say, you know, um, I think there is a movement towards a workforce that is more contractual, that's more uh, just in time kind of thing, especially within the um, product and agile community. Um, I feel that, that wouldn't you rather have um someone come in based on a particular need specialized in that area, or would you rather have someone come in and just be forced to do works that's not within their zone of genius? Um, there is, of course, room for having someone, you know, permanent, let's say um, at a managerial level, because building a team, you know, takes time. 
But for the workforce where you, you need to come in and you need to get a job done or you need to come in and help a team with this particular implementation, there's no shame in, in having, you know, um, different people come in based on the type of product you're building, based on the current need that you have. Um, now, I do see that a lot of the companies that hire agile coaches, um, they have that mindset where they bring in um people within contract. And I feel that the reason behind a lot of the durations in my career becoming shorter is because I moved in that space. Um, but if I moved into the space, maybe of, you know, being a director at an organization or being a manager, then my duration, my uh, durations would have been longer. Mm -hmm. And then I would say, you know, maybe that bias is a little bit justified because you do want someone who is loyal and who is committed and who is in there for the long haul to help, you know, your market grow, et cetera. Yeah. Well, it's like you were, you were talking about your agile journey at the beginning of our conversation today. The, um, you got jazzed about being in an environment, in an environment that was challenged and difficult and all of that and working through it and the ability to enable change and enable people to find new ways was part of what drew you to that work. But if you just kind of get while the getting's good, <laughs> yeah. um, you miss out on some of those learning opportunities. So as you think about this, um, let's just focus on those that are in the hiring position. Where do you see them getting in their own way and what recommendations might you have for them as they're thinking about hiring and um, selecting highly skilled agile professionals? The first thing I'll say is get rid of those check boxes. You know, <laughs> yeah, I know <laughs> I've been a lot of listeners know. <laughs> I, even as a coach, you know, a career coach, I get people sometimes who blow me away. I'd have a particular bias or an assumption because we can't help it. We're human beings. We go based on our previous experience. That's how we make our conclusions. We go yeah. based on historical data and, and we create insights and we look at patterns and, and, we, and we make assumptions. And there's yeah. nothing wrong with that. But you need to question those assumptions and test them, right? So um, I'll say is be a little more open-minded because you never know what, what you're going to get. You know, you may get someone who doesn't just like you're just like, you know, I, I compare this to a relationship, right? Um, you'll have a list of all the things that your, that your um, future partner needs to have. And then you meet someone who doesn't meet any of that criteria. Yes. Like and I wasn't out. looking for you. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and, it, and it turned out to be the most amazing partner because sometimes you think you need certain things out of a person to do the job, but then you realize, oh, wait a second, actually, maybe I don't. And this person is magical. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I can easily sit in the chair of, yeah, Nada, I, I get that. That all makes sense. But, you know, 
my job is to, to put together a team that's really going to be excellent. And the cost of hiring and onboarding people is really expensive. Um, I can't take that risk. So what are some of the practical things that you might advise me to do to just take a step that direction? Look at the person's personality and their values. Those are more important than, in my opinion, than the exact skills that you're looking for. Skills can be easily learned. However, behaviors, attitudes, values, those are ingrained in human beings. Those are developed in childhood. Those are very hard to change. Yeah, that's, um, there's something really important in this, I think, around the values alignment. Um, I'm going to put a pin in it for right now because I realize I'm starting to get curious about the job seeker side of it. And I know that's where we want to land. So what else do you have on sort of the those hiring angle of it? Yeah. Well, I'm actually going to quickly touch on that behavior thing. And I'm going to, again, you know, create that analogy to a relationship. Okay. Um, so let's say you're looking for a partner, right? And, and maybe on your checklist, you'll say, you know, I want someone who is a great dancer because I love dancing. Dancing is part of my life. I want someone who's a great dancer. So whatever partner that I end up with needs to have that. Let's say you end up meeting someone who doesn't dance, you know, but what is the underlying value? Why Mm -hmm. is it that you want someone who's a great dancer? Maybe you want someone who's very positive. Maybe you want someone who's a risk taker. Let's say that person um, loves, you know, rock climbing. He's not a dancer, but he loves rock climbing. So, you know, wouldn't you think that sense of adventure gets fulfilled if you end up being with that person? He'll take you rock climbing and then you'll end up teaching him dancing um, and then it becomes very beautiful. Yeah. So that's why I say, you know, look at the behavior and look at the um, values Mm -hmm. when it comes to um, creating this relationship match. And I think a lot of how we can treat um, or look at the hiring process, I like to compare it to a relationship because what is, what is a job search? It's, it's, or what is, you know, um, you know, working with someone it's, it's relationships. It's all based on relationships. Well, well, let's, that's, it's such a strange metaphor for us to keep playing with, but I I do there, it, it works really well because let's think about right. Meeting a new partner, right. In the dating phase, everybody's putting on their best behavior. So you're not necessarily really getting the person that you're going through. And that's happening in this whole job seeking environment as well. And then I'll pick on values specifically because there are so many organizations out there that have the corporate propaganda of the right values, but it really is just a mission statement on a wall and a list of words on a wall and a a video that, you know, whatever our brand promises and all of this and the experience we create for our employees. But once you get there, you realize that it's just that, it's just corporate propaganda. It's not really how the culture is within this organization. So 
for whether it's the job seeker or those hiring, how how are you guiding your clients to seek that values match and to uncover that during their job seeking process? Because for me, at least, um, the process of getting a new job as a job seeker, yes, do does the the person hiring need to want me? Absolutely. But in fact, I think it's more important for me to want to work with them. I, as the job seeker, want to be interviewing my potential employer almost more so than they are interviewing me for fit. But that's just sort of been my experience and my perspective. Um, and a lot of it tends to center around this idea of values. So what are you, how are you guiding your clients in this? I think, I think sometimes we overcomplicate things hmm. and, um, whether it's from the job seeker side or the hiring manager side, I tell people to lean into their intuition. We as human beings, biologically, we have great intuition. And sometimes we ignore our intuition because we feel that we have to follow a process. Um, or do the right thing. Or do the right thing, quote unquote. <laughs> Yes, quote unquote, quote do, do the right thing because the right thing is actually going with your gut. If you walk oh. into a situation and you feel uneasy, why would you want to ignore that? How many times have I heard people say to me, you know, I had a feeling about it, but I, I did it anyway. Because it was the right job on paper. Mm-hmm. It's what so-and-so told me I should be doing or what I thought should be the next step in my career. Or something like that, right? Yeah. So, so uh, you know, I've been on amazing sales calls with marketers. And what I've noticed, um, and I've, you know, um, purchased their products because I did feel that, that it was of value. And what I noticed during that interaction is when we were having it, they gave me the opportunity to ask questions. They gave me... It was a two-way dialogue. It was very organic, very similar to this conversation we're having. And there was a lot of energy flow. There was a lot of space to create this this rapport and bond and see for myself and have them see for themselves if it was a fit for us to work together. Because when you're working with someone, you have to be vulnerable in order to um, create results. Yeah. Um, and if and if you notice that you are not having the safety to be vulnerable during an interview, then that is your red flag right there. If you sense the interviewer becoming impatient, then imagine what it's going to be like when you work for them. They're mm-hmm. trying to sell you on working for them and they're already showing that aggression or that frustration. Yeah. So what is yeah. it going to be like when you're tied to them and you have to show up? and get paid. What's that going to be like? So those are questions I actually encourage people to ask themselves rather than focus too much on, Oh my God, I got to show up. I got to answer these questions and I got, I got to get them right. Um, And there's a lot of um, great stuff from um, NLP and, NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming. Yeah. Just in case people don't know the the acronym. Yes, that you can use to just, you know, read the person's body language Mm -hmm. um, and figure out if they're being authentic or if they're trying to sell you on things or they're trying to hide something. 
Um, And then from um, answering those questions, I also encourage people to go with storytelling because when you're telling stories, when you're talking about your experience rather than sounding like a textbook or being very theoretical, you're opening that space for that two-way dialogue and inviting the person to contribute and have a conversation with you. If you feel that the interview becomes more like a presentation rather than a conversation, then that is a bad sign. Mm, that's really interesting. I, I've never quite thought of it that way, but that's a, you know... It's not like you're going in to pitch a client. Exactly. It really should be, it should feel more like a date than a presentation. Exactly. (laughs) You know, like if I'm sitting here and you're interviewing me and all I get in terms of response from you is, yep, great, awesome. Okay. So what about this? And it just becomes like a ping, a a game of like ping pong. And it's like, you're next. You're next, yeah. you're next, and there's no connection, yeah. then you know that there's no fit, there's no chemistry. There has yeah. to be chemistry, just yeah. like on a date, you know? Yeah. yeah, no, I completely agree. All right. So before we wrap up, let's let's boil this down to some practical guidance given what you've learned working with your clients over the past months. Um, if you had just, you know, two or three like hey job seekers you're an agile professional, you're out there looking for a new role. Like here's the the handful of things for you to really think about. Wow. Okay. Um, one thing that I, that I like to use is what I call the doctor frame technique. All right. Yeah. So when you go into an interview, you got to act like a trusted advisor. Don't be the hero, be the guide, especially for agile positions you're coming into an organization to solve a problem as a trusted advisor. So rather than obsessing about your qualifications and talking about your certifications and making yourself look awesome, take the doctor's stance. And what does a doctor do? The doctor comes in, makes you feel safe. They ask you questions. They try to understand your problem. And then they talk about, you know, whether they're going to be able to solve it and they talk about their success rate and that's what here's your treatment options. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And a doctor doesn't get into the gory weeds of how they're going to fix your issue because if they do, you're going to get scared and run away. And it's also overwhelming for the person, right? Mm. So I find a lot of job seekers getting into the weeds, talking about the how, rather than focusing on coming in with the doctor frame, um, leaning in and listening, um, coming in with the mindset of, I want to help and let me see how I can help. And it doesn't matter if this doesn't turn into a sale and offer. (laughs) When you come in with that mindset of, you know what, it's cool. You know, I'm going to go in and see how I can help today. And whatever comes out of it, you know, doesn't matter no expectations. And that's usually when people get those offers, when they focus on that mindset. Um, Because when you come in with the trusted advisor mindset, all of a sudden your body language is open, you know, you're smiling, you're not aggressive, it becomes a two way conversation. Whereas 
when you don't have that mindset and, and you come in with like, I want to get this job, I want to get this job and let me be the hero. All of a sudden, you know, your tone is different. You're aggressive. You're interrupting the person. You're not giving them the opportunity to speak. So that's one of my winning, you know, techniques. Um, and I help, you know, my clients with that and I help them, you know, tell stories that hook the hiring manager and get them interested to create, you know, that dialogue. Right. Any other of those kind of sort of mental models or tips and tricks you want to be sure to leave people with? Yeah, sure. So definitely look at the STAR framework. Okay. That's an amazing framework to look at when you're going for interviews. Make sure that when you um, write your stories that they really emphasize the impact that you've made. Because remember, Mm -hmm. companies hire you to solve their problems. If you're not able to articulate how you solve the problem in another organization, how you've created an impact, then you're not going to sound convincing. You need to create that connection, that link. I um I want to pick on problems a little bit, and I know we're going to go longer than I intended us to go, so I apologize for that. But um, and and, and thank you, listeners, for sticking with us. Um, there's a thing that I see with agilists. Uh, where they get really frustrated really quickly when it's um, obvious that the organization they're working in isn't isn't the right environment to be set up for agile success. And I was like, that's why you're there. If they already <laughs> had the perfect environment for agile to succeed, they wouldn't need you. And so this idea of right being able to tell the story about what are those organizational challenges you've helped other organizations come through and what are those problems you've helped them solve, the impediments that, that, that you've worked with them on um, seems so obvious. But yet at the same time, I see so many agilists running away because it's not an environment where they can succeed. So how, do you see that with your clients as well? And how does this sort of show up with that STAR framework idea? So I've definitely seen that um, across LinkedIn, and I've heard that from people within the Agile community. Oh, my God, I went to this interview, and um, it was so clear that they didn't want to be Agile. They didn't want to do Agile. And I said, well, why are you hiring me in the first place? (laughs) (laughs) And... um, My response to that is, well, let's say you went to see a dietitian and you were doing all of the wrong things, all the things like you weren't exercising or you just sat there with your dietitian and she'd say, okay, well, I think that maybe if you tried, um, let's say, cutting down on sugar or whatever. Um, that's going to help you a lot. You're like, no, I don't want to cut down on sugar. I really love sugar. I don't want to do this. You're killing me. Um, I mean, healthy in name only. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Hey, I have those types of conversations with my dietitian all the time. She'll say, well, you know, your, your, um, this type of food may not sit well with you. Are you sure you want to keep eating it? I'm like, Oh, come on. I can't give that up. You can't make me. This is way too hard. Is your dietitian trying to take your donuts away? (laughs) (laughs) She knows better not to do that. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So, so imagine if my dietitian's response was, well, why did you hire me in the first place? If you don't want to stick to what I'm asking you to do, Mm. or if you didn't want to be healthy, 
you know, why are you coming to me in the first place? What what do you think my reaction is going to be? I'm going to shut down and say you're fired. <laughs> and yeah. I don't want to do this. People naturally resist change. We are creatures of routine. We have our little habits. It takes a long time to change our habits. And the best way to convert someone and to help them, you know, adapt a new or adopt a new habit is to understand where they're coming from and have empathy towards them and yeah. ask them why, you know, why are they struggling with this habit or what is the reason behind doing things a certain way? So, for example, you know, um, we're going to use my dietitian as an example again. She's awesome uh, for putting up with me. Um, I hate taking vitamins because I do not like pills. I just hate them. So instead of saying to me, well, you got to take your vitamins, you got to take your vitamins. My dietitian asked me a powerful question. And that was, what are you struggling with when it comes to taking your vitamins? And I said, well, I don't like, you know, swallowing pills. I hate swallowing pills. So she asked me, well, what if you, you know, got them in liquid form? And I'm like, really? They have them in liquid form? I didn't know that. <laughs> Again, it's, the, it's your doctor thing. What are my treatment options? Exactly. Yeah. After you get curious with the client. Yeah. You've got to ask them, you know, what's going on with them. What's the reason behind certain things? What are they trying to achieve? And hey, sometimes, and, and people are going to hate me for this. Sometimes agile may not be the best way for that person's situation. Or maybe right? they're just not ready yet. Or yeah, maybe they're not just ready yet and you got to yeah. warm them up, you know, baby yeah. steps. That's why we have people in change management. That's why it is a profession yes. <laughs> because it takes time to help people overcome obstacles. We yeah. all have fears um, and we also have stories that, that maybe we need a coach uh, to help us, you know, um, basically overcome and, and realize that maybe that is just a story and that is yeah. not the truth, you know? Yes. And which we do, we tell ourselves lots of stories about things all the time. We do, we do. What other stories do you want to tell people about finding success as they're navigating their agile career? Oh my goodness. Um, you know, in the past six months, I've had so many amazing clients that, I have personally learned from. Um, they have destroyed a lot of stereotypes in my head and they have um, validated my thinking about, you know, um, being able to achieve the impossible. For I example, I've had a client who came from, you know, a customer service background, not a technical guy. And I remember I was so nervous and I didn't tell him this. And if he ends up hearing this, he's going to laugh. Um, when I met him, I was really nervous because I'm the kind of person who will not take on a client unless I know I can help them. Mm -hmm. um, it's a huge investment for me as a coach. It's a huge investment for them when it comes to commitment and going through a process. 
Um, and I always like to make sure that I'm in a position where I can help the person achieve their goals. So I remember going into self mode and asking a whole bunch of people in the community with an agile, well, what do you think? What are some roles that he can do? Um, he's, he doesn't have a technical background, never really done the role. Um, I just want to make sure that I don't mislead him. The guy on the first day that we met, our, literally our first session, tells me that he got an interview. And I'm just like, wow, okay, scrum master role. Um, so this is where my agile mindset comes in because I do have a process where I take people through um, identifying their purpose and, and landing on what their ideal job is based on feasibility, based on their interest. Took that all out, skipped it all, mm -hmm. and said, yeah, let's just get you into prepping for interviews. Yeah. And Meet the client where they are meet the client where they are. And he ended up landing the offer, you know, which is amazing. That's great. That's great. Um, I've had a client who never had the agile coach title, had a history in publishing, uh, worked with teams, and there was a lot of imposter syndrome going on where she felt like, oh, my God, I never had a title. I never worked for a consulting company. I don't know if I can do this, blah, blah, blah. I ended up hiding the job posting titles and hiding the company name and then giving them to her and saying, OK, pick the one that you like. And it ended up being a consulting company. And mm. I said, you got to do this. You got to do this for yourself. Yeah. And Talk about she, stories you're telling yourself. I can't do that. The self-limiting beliefs. The stories we make up when we read a consulting company's name. Oh, I can't do that. I'm not cut out for that. And Getting she, out of your own way. She ended up landing an offer at a global consulting company, six-figure salary, agile coach. It's great. It's, it's possible. Yeah, it is. Any final thoughts and wisdom before I ask you my standard wrap-up question, Nada? I'm just very happy that I had the opportunity to share my knowledge and, uh, you know, contribute to your podcast, which is absolutely amazing. Thank you. Keep doing what you're doing, Leslie. I think you're awesome. You have an amazing background and it's so great to speak to someone within the agile community who's gone through all of this, who's been a leader, who's hired um, individuals um, to really just you know, frame all of this and, and give the absolute best advice to job seekers and especially women who are, who are still to some extent, you know, underrepresented. Oh, well, I'm so pleased to have given you this opportunity to be here. Thank you for all the wisdom you've shared with us. I really appreciate it. And I want to leave listeners with thing that one is kind of a self-serving question. I guess I'll admit that. I want to know what you're geeking out on and what you're doing for your own professional growth. Am I inspired to get something on my backlog or the backlog of other listeners? Oh my goodness. Um, wow. So one thing that I absolutely loved um, that I've discovered lately and actually ended up getting certified on as a career coach is the personal business model. Mm. So for the product managers out there, the business model canvas is used to create a strategy for organizations 
um, to determine their value proposition, their competitive advantage, um, really dig deep into understanding their customers. So I tell people to treat themselves like a product. Mm-hmm. And I have met Tim Clark, who I ended up interviewing on my YouTube channel. Amazing guy. Um, ended up being my instructor. Got my certification through him. So I'll say check out his book, Business Model U. It is truly inspirational. And I use some of that to help my clients figure out their career why and their sweet spot. I love that. And and I will probably definitely go check that one out. <laughs> I love it, Nada. Thank you so much for being here. I'm delighted to get to talk with you today. I hope our listeners have enjoyed this episode as well. Happy to be here. Thank you, Leslie. You're welcome. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Women in Agile podcast. It's brought to you in partnership from the Women in Agile nonprofit organization and scrum.org. We hope you've learned something new and invite you to tell a friend or a coworker about our podcast. You can always go online to womeninagile.org to learn more about our initiatives and find additional inspiring podcast conversations. Thanks for listening to this Women in Agile podcast episode. Find more inspiring conversations by visiting womeninagile.org slash podcast, checking out the podcast series on iTunes, or visiting your podcast application of choice. If you have an idea for a topic, speaker, or feedback on an episode, please reach out to us via email through podcast at womeninagile.org.